0: Luke 12 is where we'll be this morning. Um, I remember when I was in college, uh, I grew up in uh, Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, and um, had a bunch of buddies of mine that it's really hard to find um, a solid believer where I lived in my context. And I had a bunch of guys that I was hanging out with, and we would do prayer together, and we would do accountability and uh, some Bible study and a little short time of, you know, sit around the campfire with the acoustic guitar worship stuff. And so that's what we were doing and uh, i 'd get with these guys, and we 'd have like steak nights or whatever, and we would start to pray together and What I started noticing about these guys specifically they started started getting a little crazy all right i 'll just be honest, like um, the theology started to, to kind of tank, and uh, but one, one of the times I, the first thing I noticed when I was sitting with these guys that it, it wasn 't going well um, was we were kind of doing accountability. And I began to share about uh, a sin of mine that I was like, man, this is, I think it's my thorn in my side. This is like, you know, the thing that, that God's given me that I won't become arrogant and I won't become prideful. And, he, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to struggle with this on and off throughout the course of my life. And I'll, I'll see points of time where I'll, I'll get better at fighting it or in other times where I'll just, I'll just really fail. And I was just really honest and transparent. And one of the guys was like, hmm. And that's just never good when a Christian does that, by the way. Um... And then he goes, um, well, I, just, I just want to tell you, I think you're putting God inside of a box. And I'm like, I just think I'm just being honest. I mean, that's what this thing is for. And he goes, yeah, but um, I, I just think you can have victory over your sin. And I said, okay, all right, well, tell me about that because I want to know, you know, what, what Bible verse that is because I'm really hoping to find that one. Um, he says, well, my brother, man, he's just, uh, he's been really working on this thing, man. And he's gone a whole week without sinning and I said he did did he tell you about it he said yeah he told me about it I was like well him telling you about it is pride and that's a sin alright and he's like well you know what I mean like he's um you know, I, and there's this guy that we've been reading and this dude has gone his, he's now to a point where he's sinless he does not sin anymore and I was like so let me, let me get this straight there's a guy who's so humble that he writes a book about it to tell you how humble he is like, what does that show us, right? And then, quickly, I was kind of working with these guys and kind of challenging them some on this, like, idea that you could become sinless and perfect. Um, is scripture. I remember going to a place in First John 1, verse 8, it says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And I remember sharing that with those guys. I was like, listen, th- you know, this is, this is false teaching uh, that you guys are falling into. And they would say... Well, no, 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 this, this, is, this is not, I mean, we believe that you can be sinless. And I said, listen, call me in a few years and let me know how that's going. And I, I'm going to continue to kind of walk in where I'm walking and hoping I'll fight my sin for the, my whole life because the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of me who's going to do that for me. But you let me know how that's going. I haven't gotten that call yet, by the way. Um, but I, I really do wonder how often we sin. Um, I don't think we're aware of how often we sin. I don't think we are, I think we deceive ourselves constantly, and and I think we spend our lives trying to cover sin um, through religious activity and legalism to try to not own up to our sin. And so, I think we live a lot in lies. And the scary thing is, when we get into that world of well, I'm I'm good and I'm righteous because I do these things. We, become to walk, we, we began to walk outside of what the gospel is for us. And so what Jesus does is Jesus begins in Luke 12 to show us the danger of hypocrisy in the life of a disciple. And so I want you to turn to Luke 12, and we'll start in verse 1. It says, In the meantime... When so many thousands of people had gathered together that were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is what? Hypocrisy. Now this is important to understand because it starts out, In the meantime, do you ever start a sentence that way when you go up to somebody? Hey, in the meantime, um, such and such. No, you're always going to reference back to something else. So when you say words like in the meantime or phrases like in the meantime or therefore, figure out what it's there for, right? So in the meantime, what? Well, here's what just happened. Um, Jesus in Luke 11 was being accused of by uh, the Pharisees because of miracles that he was doing of being called the devil. Is that a compliment? No, they're saying the works that you're doing are are like that of the devil. And so what he begins to do is then show them that he's not the devil. This isn't the works of the devil. This is my works. Why would the devil, why would the kingdom be divided? So he goes into that. Then he goes into just blatant hypocrisy of the, of the Pharisees. He calls them out for being legalist. Um, he begins to show them that, yes, you do good things, but your heart is not transformed. Your heart does not show the reality of what's coming out of your mouth. And so... What's happening is people are starting to hear this ongoing debate between these Pharisees, these religious uh, uh, elite people who would uh, judge people outside of even what Scripture says, outside of what God's Word says. There was an oral law that they began to make up and wholly put people accountable for. And what these guys are doing is they're starting to debate with Jesus. And this ongoing debate is causing a crowd so much... And so heavy that they're trampling on on one another to hear what's being said. And so what you begin to see is Jesus in this crowd takes his disciples aside. It says he went to his disciples first and he tells them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now Jesus, when he references the word leaven, uh, sometimes it can be really confusing. Um, it's, it's confusing because he means it in two different ways. Uh, sometimes he talks about leaven in, leaven in a very good way because he's talking about the, the, the concept of bread and it growing. And so he, he talks about the leaven of the kingdom of God. He's talking about the expansion of the kingdom of God. Sometimes the kingdom of God is going to spread like leaven. It's going to grow. It's going to expand. It's going it's um, to continue. And other times he talks about leaven in a negative sense. And this is what he means in a negative sense it's going to be a spreading poison that will ultimately war against the kingdom of God, the, the, the message of Jesus. And so he's talking about this poison as hypocrisy. What does that word mean? It's borrowed from a theater term. It means literally uh, a hypocrite is one of an actor, of a person who puts on a mask and puts on a different persona than what is really who they really are. And so he's calling these Pharisees, Hypocrites. He's calling them fakers. He's calling them actors. You are putting on a play continually and your heart is not transformed. Does that sound like anything that we've ever seen in the church? I mean, aren't we known for that? Isn't that what people say as the church is full of hypocrites? But here, here's the thing is that really a fair statement? I mean, isn't, aren't, aren't hypocrites everywhere, right? Aren't they everywhere? I mean, one of the things that I want to show you, I think some of the understanding might be wrong of the church being hypocrites. Here's why I say that. One is, if the outside world is looking for perfection, they're definitely not going to find it in the church, correct? So if they're saying that they're hypocrites because they fail. That's not fair, right? That is unfair. All of us are going to fail. All of us are going to fall short. All of us are sinners who in need of a great Savior, But what I think that we struggle with is the hypocrisy of pretending like we know it all or like we have it all together and we don't. And I think that is what frustrates the outside world. So the standard's not, hey, they mess up. We're mad at them. I think the frustration is really this. They look and they see Religious activity on the outside, but in the inside, is brokenness and anger and defeat and doubt and frustration. And they don't see those things coming out. And so Jesus, I think, is getting to the heart of the issue, which is really lying. It's really lying. It's fooling yourself. It's deceiving yourself. And so he tells them, beware of The leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Let me just show you this next part. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And whatever you have whispered in private rooms, listen to this, shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Good. That's good. Let's just move on. Right? That's a scary verse. Is that not a scary verse? The things that are said, there's nothing that we can conceal from God. Even the little whispers that we say will be proclaimed on the housetop, which means that there's nothing that we can hide from a holy God. Is that scary? Anybody have anything that's going on that you want proclaimed? If I took all the secrets that you have and began to put them on display for us this morning, would you be embarrassed a little bit Maybe. Okay, well, maybe there's more hypocrites than I thought in this church. All right, but Jesus, he begins to show that he is going to judge the world in this way. That there's nothing that's going to be hidden from God. Um, you even see this in Acts. Um, you have these arrogant philosophers in Athens who worship all these false gods, and Jesus tells them in Acts, or, or Paul says in Acts 17. Verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because He's fixed. he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Matthew 12, 36 says Jesus will give account for every careless word, every single word, Movie line that we quote, every single song that we sing, every joke that we tell, every sarcastic remark that we make, will be held accountable by God. And Acts seventeen says He's fixed the day that He's going to do that. That every whisper will be proclaimed on the house top. And I, I think this goes both ways. I think this goes both ways. I think if we are hiding something from God, he exposes it. But I even think our our good deeds, the things that we do for his glory that are behind the scenes that we don't even get credit for here on earth, he's gonna expose that too and say, you know what, Uh, this person right here made much of me in this and this person right here confessed this sin and look at how great my name is through that. So every single thing, God is going to expose us, God's gonna expose our sin and we don't get away with it. Even the behind-the-scenes things that we do for his glory, he'll expose and show the true color. So this is God's character. This is who God is. Um, God, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, as he is forever, right? This is who he is. And so you even see, like, places in, in, in Joshua 7. There was a guy in Joshua 7 who tried to hide from God. And so Joshua 7, you, you, you go to Joshua 7, and if you look, I'll just kind of tell the story um, that Ben Tugwell version, um, God is wanting to pay back. He's going to use the Israelites to pay back what has happened to this country, named, this nation named Eah. And Eah is not a, a big nation. It wasn't even a strong nation, but they had went to the Israelites in a time of repression, and they, they just beat them down. And God's, going to get, God's getting them back, and he's using Joshua as his leader, and he's telling them, hey, go and attack Eah. Because these guys, listen, they, they have caused this stuff on us and we're going to get them back. We're going to clean house. And Joshua doesn't take, he takes it kind of like lightly. Yeah, I'll just take about 3,000 guys, no big deal. We should be able to swoop right in there and wipe these guys out. This is nothing, we've, we, could, we could easily take these guys. I mean, this, let me just give you a perspective of what this looks like. This is like a, since it's March Madness, this is like a 16 seed alright going into the tournament you know the Santa Clara or whatever you know like you know Belmont University whatever it is you know um, going into the tournament and like entering in and we're, we're all thinking oh they're not gonna win this right this is a number one seed against a 16 seed right and so Joshua takes three thousand men and he goes off into fight AI and what happens well the guys from AI they, they beat like 36 of their guys down really quick and the rest of the guys flee they take off they run back and they're going, what in the world just happened? This, they're at halftime. They're down by like 50. Like Kentucky is going, what is, I mean, I'm praying that Kentucky is the first one seed to lose with a 16 seed. I'm like praying fervently for that. And so let's just say it's Kentucky just for the sake of my own imagination and wanting that to happen so badly. You have them at the halftime going, what's happening? We're down by 50 against this, this team that's, you know, I, I think it's even a Division II team. It might be a community college. We're losing badly. What's going on? Who, what did we eat last night? Are we all, is something wrong with our brains? And so what begins to happen is they cannot figure out why they're losing. They cannot figure out what just took place. And so God... In Joshua 6, there's a behind the scenes story to Joshua 7. Joshua 6, God tells the Israelites, No one is allowed to touch the devoted things. Don't lay your hands on this one thing. I don't even know what it is. But he says, Don't touch that devoted thing. If you do, something bad's going to happen. All right? You're going to lose against a community college. Right? And so what happens is. Everyone realizes at that point, somebody touched the devoted thing. We're supposed to beat these guys, and we're not. We just got owned. And so Joshua, they, take, they cast lots, and they find out that this guy named Achan had taken the devoted thing, and he hid it in his tent. When they cast lots, they find out that it's him, and he's stoned to death, and he's killed. He is family was stoned to death his livestock was stoned to death and they buried his family his livestock everything that he owned destroyed it and in the place the burial ground which they buried him is now called the what was called the valley of trouble that is not a good legacy to lead is it? And so we look at sin and we think that God does not take sin seriously and it doesn't affect other people. We're dead wrong. And I'm not saying this to scare you. Like if you have hidden sin in your life, he is going to burn your house down and your burial ground will be called the Valley of Trouble. I'm not saying that. But I am showing you that if you're a person who thinks my sin's private, it doesn't affect other people. God doesn't take this sin seriously. This is the same God of that day who hates sin. This, that's the sin in that way. That radically, God hates sin. Absolutely. Does it affect your family? Yes. Does it affect your friends? Yes. Does it affect your church? Absolutely. And so can you imagine Achan having this devoted thing that God to- told his people not to touch? It's buried in his tent. And can you imagine him multiple times walking over this hidden sin in his life? Can you imagine his family gathered around a meal with this sin underneath their feet? Can you imagine there have been times where he's prayed with his family and he's praying with this sin underneath him, this thing that he's hiding from so many people, this lie that he's living. And so our sin matters. It matters to God because it hurts people. It hurts ourselves, and it hinders our relationship with God, but l- let me show you what 's next, verse four. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do, but, I'll, but I will warn you whom to fear. fear him who, after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, you fear him now Jesus Tells us who to fear, he's saying, Don't have fear of man, but fear the one who has the authority to cast you into hell. Now, some people would say, Well, that's Satan, you know, you should fear Satan. But does Satan have the authority to cast us into hell? Because if you look in in chapter eleven, who's the stronger man? Jesus is arguing in chapter eleven of Luke, he's the stronger man than Satan. He's like, Satan's the weak man, I'm the strong man. And so he can't be saying fear Satan above all things because he would, he would want you to fear him above all things because he's a stronger man. But if you look at this, he's talking about fearing God. He wouldn't tell us to fear Satan overall. It doesn't even flow with the context of chapter 11 and 12. He's telling us to fear God and his holiness, to take his holiness seriously. And so Satan doesn't have the authority um, to kill us. Satan has never killed anyone anybody, God has the authority to do that. Uh, Satan has never sent anyone to hell. God has, he is the what? He's the final judge. Is that correct? He's the final judge. So God is the final judge. So God is the one who has authority to send people to hell. And he's telling you, listen, fear God, not man. Fear God, not man. And we always talk about hell in this way, like it's total separation from God. Have we heard that? Right, Hell is a place where you'll be totally separate from God. Let me show you this. This is, this is a crazy text. All right, Second Thessalonians 1, 8-9. In a flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. There's a place in Revelation that talks about who's putting on this eternal fire is the Lord himself. Continually to turn the heat up. And it even says that Satan will also go through that same torment. So it's God who's there putting on the heat. And it's God who's the one who's sovereign even over the destruction of those who reject the gospel. That's scary, right? He's saying, Fear that. That's who you fear. And so, God is the one who's the one that we look to. But let me, I'm going to skip down. We're going to get back to 6 and 7. But look look in verse 8. And I tell you, everyone acknowledges me before man. the Son of Man also will acknowledge, acknowledge me before the angels of God. But the one who desires me before men... Will be denied before the angels of God. I'm sorry, the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So this is one of those highly misinterpreted verses in Scripture. Um, Some will try to import other ideas into what this actually means. I've heard people say, well, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, that's murder. Or blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is suicide or it's rape. And so if you do all those things, you're not going to be forgiven. Um, That is not what the text says. Um, And so I think we fail here because we lose the context of what he's actually talking about. Uh, if we start to import things, we're going to get really lost. And he's not talking about a specific sin as much as he's talking about a lifestyle of total rejection toward the gospel. And he, here's, here's what we see. Let me just give you a whole picture of what he's saying here. Because you can't just read one verse and blow it up. So don't do that. Take all the chapters before. What, take the whole context. Who is he talking to? Who is he addressing? That's what's important. So look, let me just show you. In Luke, in, in Luke chapter 11... He says the Pharisees, they're saying what? That Jesus is the devil, right? They're, they're proclaiming that he's the devil with their mouth. And then Jesus calls out the, the legalism of the Pharisees, and he calls them hypocrites. These guys are hypocrites. And then he tells them everything will be revealed. There is no there is no secrets whatsoever. And then he says the one who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So it's a whole picture of what do you proclaim about who Jesus is? Here's people that say he's Satan. What do you say that he is? Because the one who blasphemes the Holy Spirit, those people will not be forgiven. So here's what I want to do. I want you to imagine that you are at the judgment seat of Christ and that your sins are being brought to trial all of your sins are being brought up, just like he says here in, in, uh, in Luke 12. That every single thing that's whispered will be shouted uh, to the rooftops. There's no secrets that are going to be said. And all, everything is explained that you've ever done. Good for the glory of God, bad sin against God. And what you would say is, if you're a believer in Jesus, you would say, I've embraced Christ. I've, I obey Christ. I live for the gospel. I love Christ. And so Jesus then comes in your place, just like he did on the cross when he said it was finished. He becomes an advocate for you and says, it's paid for. All of these things are paid for. And so that's the benefit of a believer, but there's a flip side to that. And that's when he talks about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. He says, what are you going to do? Who's going to be your advocate for you when the judgment seat of Christ is said and all of these things are being mentioned. All of these things are being said and you have no advocate because you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And so it's not a one-time act. Rather, it's a lifestyle of rejecting Jesus because who re- who reveals the truth of Jesus to us? It's the Holy Spirit. It's not our own works. We don't just say, yeah, I trust Jesus. I just, yeah, I think I'm gonna trust Jesus today. The Holy Spirit of God draws you to Christ. And through that, you accept him and you embrace him. The blaspheming of the Holy Spirit is not uh, yielding to the Spirit. And so this is a lifestyle issue. Look at First Timothy 4, 1 through 2. It says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, someone depart from faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirit." Spirits and teaching of demons through the uh, insincerity of liars whose conscience are seared. And so Paul echoes exactly what Jesus says. It's these people of a seared conscience, of a hardened heart, they don't care about the goodness of God, they reject the light of God, and they'd rather be deceived and the worshiping false gods. And so if you've ever worry, have I committed the sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit? Am I am I gonna be forgiven? This is a warning to non believers, not to believers, all right? Because a believer has already yielded to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit Like it says in Ephesians 1, he has sealed you into the day that you'll receive your inheritance. So you're not going to lose your salvation if you're a believer. That's what that means. You've yielded to the Holy Spirit. He's embraced you. The the, the cross has paid for your sins. And so here's the thing. A person uh, who is blaspheming the Holy Spirit doesn't care about whether or not they blaspheme the Holy Spirit. They don't care. All right? All right? Because their hearts are not regenerate. There's no spirit working in their lives. Uh, The second thing is, um, look at what Jesus says here in the next part. Look at verse 11. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will what? Teach you in that very hour What you ought to say. So the Holy Spirit will allow you to confess who Jesus is and the goodness of who he is. Now, I know a lot of people try to take this verse out and say, well, this is a private prayer language. Does it fit the context of what's happening here? No, it does not. The context is how you're proclaiming the gospel from your lips and what the Spirit's work is doing in your life. And so I think people, when they look at this, they freak out because they're like, oh, this is about blasphemy. I don't want to blaspheme. I'm going to try my whole life about not to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. If the Holy Spirit lives inside you, you will not blaspheme the Holy Spirit. You'll only proclaim good things because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You have long suffering. It's all in there that all of these things are going to come out. They didn't even know this when Jesus was saying it because Paul didn't explain it yet. But that's what's going to happen as a believer. As a believer in Christ, good things are going to come out and flow out of your heart. So you're going to say good things because that's the Spirit doing the work from the inside out. That's good news, right? That's good news. And so, for a believer, this is hope and encouragement. But for a non-believer, it's to invoke fear. You can't live your life totally rejecting God because you will not be forgiven but here's the promise and here's the goodness that it is for a believer and i want to encourage you with this today that is the only sin that he does not forgive you of so me today as a believer in christ i've been one since i was 11 years old i will never blaspheme the holy spirit because the spirit of christ already dwells in me So that means if this is the only thing that he will not forgive me of, that means there's nothing else that Christ and his shed blood will not forgive me of the sins of my past, of my present, or of my future. That's what that means. There's nothing that the blood of Christ does not cover. And so I want to show you, look at verse 6 and 7. Jump back up. Are not five sparrows. These are delicacies sold for two pennies. And not one of them is forgotten before God. So he knows everything. That's what he's saying. Why even the hairs in your head are all numbered? Fear not. You are more value than many sparrows. What he's saying is this. You matter because of what Christ has done. You matter because of what Christ has done. And so you look at yourself and you feel so defeated about sin in your life and what you've done. But he's saying, listen, there's nothing that he will not forgive you of because if, you, if you're a believer, you're not going to blaspheme him. You're not. You're going to be forgiven of every other thing. This is in First John 8, uh, 1, uh, 1, 8 through 10. It says this, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from what? Unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. So our life is about a lie, but we also make him a liar if we say that we're without sin. And his what? Word is not in us. His spirit is not in us if we live our lives continually in a lie, the Word is not in us. And so what does God want from us? He wants us to confess our sins. That's what He wants from us. He doesn't want us to walk and saying, well, I've gone a week without sinning. Well, I don't think you understand your heart and the wickedness of your heart. You don't have a prideful thought. You don't have a lustful thought. You don't have a thought of, I really don't want to read my Bible today. Or, I really don't want to read my Bible every second of the day. Right? I I really don't want to make much of Jesus in this very second. You haven't had that thought. But you don't know yourself. You don't know yourself. And what he's saying is, confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us for our sins and cleanse us of our righteousness. But we prefer to be hypocrites because it's so easy. It's hard to confess sin, is it not? To go up to another brother or sister and say, listen, man, I am really having a hard time here. I am really struggling with lust. I'm really struggling with greed. I'm really struggling with gossip. But what we'd rather do is say, you know what? Instead of doing that, I'm going to give more on Sunday. I'm going to go to every life group this week. (laughs) Either there's two on Tuesday night. I'm going to go to that one and then go to this one, and that will be enough. And God will look at me and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You don't have to worry about that sin. I've forgotten about it, by the way. No, he says, listen, confess Your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so I think we struggle with this. I really do. And I think the struggle that we have and believers in general have, we struggle with confessing our sins because we have probably been in places where the leaven of the Pharisees is the norm, meaning don't confess your sins here because you'll be judged if you do that don't confess yourselves here your sins here because we'll look down on you we'll pray for you but we'll talk about you later right we're going to make a big deal about it and everybody's going to stare at you and do this when they see you walk in the door right And so, what that does is it creates an atmosphere. And if if you grew up in church, I grew up in a church like that, where no one confessed sin. We always found out about it way later. Like such and such ran off with his wife. He lives in Texas now. Oh man, wish somebody would have talked about that earlier. You know, you know. Oh, that guy, he's on top of a building with a sniper rifle, and you know, it's not going well. You know, and it's always like way too late before we could even do anything about it, right? And so what that does is it creates an atmosphere of just plain liars because no one wants to confess anything because it's not even a, a, a part of the culture to confess sin. I mean, I remember going up in church and then, the, you know, the, the, the altar call, no one's getting saved, but that one lady who goes up there and prays and, you know, she's got something going on. Everybody's like, what's going on with her, you know? It's not the norm. It, it's not the norm. We freak out and we're like, oh, I bet she's, well, I, you know what I think she's doing. You know, we start to guess. And we don't, no one goes up and says, like, yeah, what are you wor- where do you worry about? What can we help you with? What can we disciple you through? You know what? I got junk too. Here's what I got. And it's not a part of the norm at all. And so what I would want to see is a church that lives under the mindset of being aware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, which means this. Everything that you confess, we can work through here except for lying. You can't just walk around lying all the time. You can't do it. So we'll never know how to get into your life. We can't help disciple you if you're a liar. Disciple the people who are being discipled and lying, they're not going to really be discipled. So he's saying, we want an honest and transparent heart, and we want a culture of confessing. Now, we're not going to cover your sin up. Like, you broken the law, we're going to say, listen, we're going to pray for you, we're going to work through you, but we ain't no Roman Catholics, right? We're going to go and deal with this thing. All right, that was mean. All right. We're going to go and deal with this thing. We're going to work through this thing. We're not going to cover your sin up because your sin has consequences. But we are going to hold you accountable. We're going to walk through the gospel with you. And, and here's what I've seen in the last few months I've seen young men, in, in a very profound way, confess sin. I, I've seen multiple guys come up to me recently and confess porno- pornography addiction. That's been one of the most encouraging things to me because they can continue to walk in a lie and later cheat on their wives. But they care more about the gospel now and they, don't, they care more about the embarrassment. They don't, the embarrassment doesn't bother them because they're just being open and honest. I need help, man. I am weak. I have people recently that have confessed, man, maritally, we're, we're just struggling. We're having a hard time. We need accountability. We need someone speaking to speak into our lives it's just an awesome time to be a pastor and, and walk through the gospel in that because I don't want a church of perfect people because that's, not, that's going to be in heaven, right? We're here. We're on earth. It's not going to be perfect. So the reality is there should be a lot of confession of sin. I have a student that came to me not long ago and said, listen, I am, I, am cheat, I have cheated on multiple exams and papers since I've been in school and I need to go... And talk to my professors and tell them I'm cheating even if I fail all those classes. So the person, they, they did that and they failed those classes. But they want to be honest and want to be open above their GPA. It matters to them. And so a culture of confession matters because what it does is it deflects our glory and our goodness and our self-righteousness that we think that we have and we don't. But it shows us a big God and a beautiful Savior consistently. And so when the outside world looks in and they say, you went and told a professor that you lied? I do that junk all the time, man. That's messed up. Why would you do that? It's because the Holy Spirit of God is doing a work in, in me. And he began, and the work that he began in me, he's going to finish. Because I love Jesus, and my love for Christ is bigger than my GPA. And so I think if we continue to walk in a world of unconfession and unrepentance, the world, the outside world, is not going to see a beautiful Savior. And so my question is this what are you hiding this morning? What are you hiding this morning? What mask does God need to strip off of your face where you're no longer an actor and he sees you for who you really are? Maybe there's a sin here that you just need to confess to another believer so that you can have accountability. Scripture tells us if you do that, you, you save yourselves a multitude of sin and even death. And so if there's sexual immorality here, there's greed here, there's gossip, but there's infidelity, all these things that we see in scripture. I think this is a place where you should be able to feel like you can confess your sins because we have a God who's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What are you afraid of that you wouldn't want proclaimed in the house, to the housetops? And I would say that is the thing that God wants you to confess this morning maybe to another believer. Um, but I invite you to do that this morning, specifically before we take communion. Um, before we, out of the four tables that we have, we take communion as four believers who've repented of their sins and they've confessed their sins. So when they take the bread that was broken, that, that that shows the brokenness of Christ on the cross, and we dip it into the cup, it represents the blood of Christ that was shed for us. We're saying that, we believe that his salvation is enough for us, that our sins are forgiven. And we've, we're saying that we've confessed our sins to this God because of what he's done on the cross. So it's for believers who've repented of their sins. Scripture tells us not to take it in an unworthy manner. And so I invite you this morning, maybe before you even take communion, that you would go to another believer and say, listen, I'm struggling in this. And before I even take communion this morning, I want to be able to lay that down. So would you do that this morning? Let's just be honest this morning. Let's, let's have a culture of honesty at integrity so that the world would see a big God and a beautiful Savior. Let's pray.